Welcome and thank you for joining us on episode 16 of Retrospection. In each show we go bobbing for cinematic apples and hope we don't bite into one that's rotten to the core. My name's Colin and I'm in the Phantom Zone. And I'm Paul and I'm in Reading, which is the Phantom Zone, I suppose. In this episode we're taking a look at Mannequins from 1987. And unusually for films that we look at, this one actually made money. I know, I know. We'll have to stop that, won't we? We will. (laughs) On a 7.9 million budget, it brought in 49 million dollars. Usually those numbers are the other way around for films we watch. It's it's pretty obvious you can see why that this film worked out that way though, can't you? Yes. Yeah. Can we talk about that later? Okay. Also, <laughs> as we're going along? I think okay. its release date is important as well. It was released on February the 13th, day before Valentine's Day. Ah, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other films released that week were Over the Top. Whoa. It's less of a Valentine's Day film, that one, I think. <laughs> a, a canon Valentine's Day film. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what that would be like? Cheap. Cheap. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. And 84 <laughs> Charing Cross Road. That's kind of a Valentine's movie, isn't it? I guess I can't remember. Wait, hang on. That's not that's not about Auschwitz or something like that, is it? <laughs> I don't know. I can't actually <laughs> remember it. I didn't look it up. I don't think it is. I think it's a, a love story of some kind. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure our listeners can correct us. <laughs> if they can be bothered. Yeah. Mannequin is directed by Michael Gottlieb. Who? Michael Gottlieb. Gottlieb. I don't know how you pronounce his last name. Written by Gottlieb and Edward Rugoff. Original music by Sylvester LeVay. You're shaking <laughs> your head a lot. What's going on? I've never heard of any of these people. Actually, I've heard of Gottlieb, but only in relationship to video games, not to actual film. He got out of it. <laughs> or he ended up in it. I don't know which direction he was going. You know, I think he got out of it. <laughs> Mannequin stars Kim Cattrall as Emmy, Andrew McCarthy as Jonathan Switcher, Estelle Getty as Claude Timkin, James Spader as Richards, G.W. Bailey as Felix, Carol Davis as Roxy, Mashanch Taylor, I have no idea how you pronounce his name, as Hollywood, and Stephen Vinovich as B.J. Wirt. You know, interestingly enough, the, the um, Andrew McCarthy role was originally written for Dudley Moore. They were going to go older. Oh, but then they, they tested him for how he would attract the young girls to the film. A- and it was not. <laughs> no. I think. can't imagine. Well, Andrew McCarthy was, was just coming off a very successful teen movie, wasn't he? You see how he did that then? <laughs> was he really? I think it wasn't it less than zero, isn't he in that? You know, we've stated like four or five things so far. Not one of them we know is actually true. I'm checking it as we speak. Okay. <laughs> Maybe, I want to get, get at least one fact right while we're doing that's, this. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know? Oh, while you're checking, I'll do the plot. Feel free. Okay, I'm taking it from IMDb. Young artist searching for his vocation makes a mannequin so perfect he falls in love with it. Finding the mannequin in a store window, he gets a job there and his creation comes to life. It, it was less than zero was after mannequin, so um, but he was in that. Uh, I was thinking Pretty in Pink. Okay. And St. Elmo's Fire. So yes, he was he was a big star at that point. Huge. Well, those films are very popular. Yeah, Pretty in Pink's pretty good. Apparently the working title for this film was Perfect Timing. Not sure how relevant that is. No, I'm not sure, I guess. I mean, your film's about a mannequin, so call it <laughs> mannequin. <laughs> yeah, Perfect Timing. What was... Because she's perfectly timed to save his life in, you know, because he's... I don't... 
Maybe. She, Your guess is as good on, as On the other way around, because she's been going through time. Yeah, that's a weird one. Okay. Well, yeah, well, that going through time thing's all a bit... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this film had one sequel. It did. Mannequin on the Move, or Mannequin 2, depending on where you were. Which I think if you reverse the numbers I mentioned earlier, that's what happened to Mannequin 2. <laughs> I think you're right. And, and the only returning actor was the guy that played Hollywood. Right. Everybody else was, was, was new. Everyone else was doing better and bigger things. Do you think that maybe the the producers probably thought, well, if we spent nothing on the first one, why do we need to spend anything on the second one? We don't need to pay those actors who now want more money. No, but that's we'll the just, point. We'll just do what we did again and get... No, no, the budget's huge for the second one. Oh, is it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The budget for the first wow. one was only like $8 million. The The second one is in the tens of millions. And they still couldn't attract Kim Cattrall and no. Andrew McCarthy back? I don't know where the money went. Wow. Do you think people had a good time making this film, or...? The one we've just watched, the first one or the sequel? The first one. I'm thinking, do you think they had a good time making it and, and or not? And that's maybe why they didn't want to come back? Or They probably didn't want to come back because it was critically slammed. But it made a ton of money. Yeah, that's true. Money talks. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Wow, look at you. Yeah. Mr. T- Mr. Trump. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been called some things in my time. Is this over now? That's it. <laughs> Is this the last episode? Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. Shall we go straight into the film? Go for it. So we open in ancient Egypt a long time ago, just before lunch, as the text on the screen tells us. This set looks amazing, doesn't it? It looks like ancient Egypt. It doesn't look like a lot of styrofoam. Looks like a Doctor Who set. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. I swear I say the walls move at least once. Um, (laughs) Emmy, played by Kim Cottrell, is hiding in a pyramid wrapped in bandages. Her mother is searching for her and finds her. She pleads with Emmy to marry the latest man they've chosen. Now Emmy has been turning down all the previous suitors. Now she has no choice, but she wants to try things that she's never done before, to explore, to fly and meet a special kind of man. Should we mention that none of these, neither one of these actresses look Egyptian? Ah, oh, sound Egyptian or speak Egyptian. They sound like they're in 1987. Exactly, yeah. Maybe that's the gag. In some ways, though, if they remade this film today, they'd do exactly the same thing, wouldn't they? Yeah, probably. Being 1987, I'm just surprised that they didn't uh, try and Egyptian them up a bit. Oh, really? You know, because <laughs> I wouldn't have been surprised in 1987 that they'd have tried something like that. Well, she's wearing bandages. Oh, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, then. There you go. <laughs> Silly me. Yeah. Fool. But later on in the movie, she starts doing that walk like an Egyptian dance. So, you know, she's she's obviously Egyptian. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> so Emmy prays to the gods to help her out of this situation. There's a flash of light and she vanishes. So um, how does this work then? Well, I, she turns up in different time periods, doesn't she? Because we get the we get the animated credits that have her passing through different time periods. Right where she's meeting people like Da Vinci and um, Christopher Columbus. And... But at one point in the, in the credits, she's with dinosaurs. So what, did, they, did the gods zap her back in time and then forward in time? Or I don't know. <laughs> you tell me how this works. I don't get it. It's probably best that you're not supposed to think about it. Oh, it... that's what we're It's one of those. Wrong. Okay. Yeah, it's one of those kind All of right. things. Where you, yeah, just take... They've zapped her through time. She's obviously looking for her perfect man, isn't she? Right. Through time. Aren't we all? In a very non-linear way. <laughs> you, I, I, I glossed straight over that. I'm not... <laughs> the music during the intro... That's your, that's your business, Colin. I don't... 
<laughs> the music during the intro is In My Wildest Dreams by Belinda Carlisle. I knew you'd know that. Why did you know I'd know that? Because I just know you know your Belinda Carlisle, don't you? No, I had to research it. Yeah, right. <laughs> you got that shifty look in your eye. I've good. seen that before. This is like, I had to research it. Oh, and uh, In My Wildest Dreams is unavailable anywhere except in certain places. And for a while, the original studio release had vanished and they could only find a low quality version. And that was all research, was it? All research. <laughs> do you own a copy of that? I do not own a single copy of a Blinder Carl. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Philadelphia today. Well, can we just say these credits? These these animated credits. Yeah. What did you think? Didn't you think they were very? And I know we 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 go back to this every podcast. It seems like a recurring thing. And you know what I'm going to say. Yes. They're very carry onish, aren't they? Yes, they are. But it fits the movie, I think, because we'll get into it later. But I think the carry on theme runs through this film. Okay, that'll be interesting for you to do. I'm sure everyone's dying to hear this. <laughs> I've got a theory. <laughs> I don't a... have many, but. Oh. Hear the clicks of a hundred people turning off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Our, our Carry On episode was uh, is one of our best. Yeah. Stay, apparently. Stay tuned for more Carry On episodes. So then we cut to Philadelphia, and it says today, mm-hmm. and Jonathan Switcher McCarthy is creating a mannequin. And he's talking to it, and he's dancing with the torso and trying to find legs and arms for it to match it up. The mannequin looks like Kim Cattrall. So. Did he make this mannequin from scratch? I'm guessing that's the implication. Yeah, and that's why it's took him... Because his boss tells him that it's taken him four weeks to make one mannequin. So she's not always been a mannequin? No, I'm... No, no. I think... Has she taken over forms? I think she takes other forms, yeah. Yeah. Oh. And she she just imbues herself into this particular mannequin because she's picked him, hasn't she? Ah, so he makes the mannequin and then she... Imbues a soul into it. I think that, I think that's what they're going for. Yeah. All right. Okay. That makes more sense to me. Absolutely. You got to say though, haven't you, that that uh, the character of Jonathan, he's about half a step away from being a serial killer, isn't he? Well, you'd know more about that than me. Uh, your on, <laughs> your honour. <laughs> no, what do you mean? How? Well, I mean, he's he, you know, he, he's obviously well. He's obviously not right in the head, is he? I mean, before he even finds out that that she's actually a person and she comes to life. He's talking to it like it's real. Right. And he's and, and at one point he's talking to it like it's real while it's just a torso with no arms or legs. And you think that's unusual? You know he's one step away from having a head in the fridge, don't you? Wow, okay. Well, this this character has taken a whole new light to me now. A darker <laughs> film than I thought it was. That's what I'm saying. You you look at it this way, yeah. you'll, you'll come around. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so in the background, we get the song My Girl. I mean, you remember Bloodspot when we talked about music that tells you what's going on in the actual film? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that in this, isn't there? It's an obvious choice. And some of the other workers are dancing to it as well. Because they can hear it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he then gets fired for taking too long to create a mannequin because he prefers quality over quantity. And he gets fired for being slow, yet nobody else in his factory appears to be working either. <laughs> That's true. But I, I was thinking that, you know, at least he's got your work ethic, hasn't he? So I'm Quality sure you, over quantity. Yeah, I'm sure you could appreciate that, can't you? Oh, this is going to get cut. <laughs> guy starting a new job doesn't want this on a podcast. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll say it differently. He's got my work ethic. <laughs> there you go. Much funnier. <laughs> 
So we get a monta- monta- we get a montage sequence of him trying different jobs. Mm-hmm. So next he's making balloon animals at an annoying kids' party. And it's funny how kids in films that have balloon parties are always annoying. Oh, he's a little shit, this kid, isn't he? Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. But he gets his comeuppance, doesn't he? He does. The kid wants the largest balloon, which is the advertising balloon for mm-hmm. the company, which he shouldn't have. But Jonathan, fed up with the kid's whining, gives it to him, and it lifts him up into the air. It's all very cartoonish, isn't it? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's fired again. Mm-hmm. So now he tries his hand at topery. That's right, and he makes a rabbit. Yeah, out of some bushes, and he's fired again. Well, you can't you can't blame a man for working on a bush, can you? Do you want to play some music again? <laughs> Even my dog is looking disgusted. <laughs> Stick around, there's more of it. <laughs> he just collapsed. <laughs> So yeah. now he goes to a pizza place, but he's fired again because he's too artistic and slow with the pizzas. Mm-hmm. I can understand why he's like that. Why? Well, it makes sense. He's a perfectionist. You think he's a perfectionist? He's a perfectionist, and that's why she picks him. Because he's a perfectionist. Because he's a perfectionist in his work. Oh, okay. He can see the bigger picture. He's not all about, you know, consumerism, and consumerism, and get it all out there. He's, he's like, you know, he's going to do a good job, and he's going to, you know, help me out. <laughs> no, no, I'll just let you flail around like a... I like started well, se- well, and I was hoping at some point you would butt in and rebuke me, but... I wouldn't see you, like, flop around like a whale on a beach. <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> that didn't sound good, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've lost weight, I love you now. Okay, meant dolphin. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Dolphins have got massive... Anyway... Okay, so now unemployed, he pulls up on his motorbike to pick up his girlfriend, Roxy, who is hanging out with her rich yuppie friends. Now, she works at a fashionable, popular department centre called Illustra. Mm-hmm. Now, how does he afford this bike if he's unemployed and he can't keep a job? Oh, there's bigger questions than that later. Wow, I'm going to look forward to that. The bike is nothing to what comes later. <laughs> I'm really interested now. Right. I'm not going to tell you. Keep, keep people wanting. Yeah, absolutely. So her friends make fun of his motorbike, calling the Road Warrior, and she pretends the Jag is in the shop. Mm-hmm. While they're on the bike riding around, they talk about him losing his job again. She's annoyed with him and embarrassed by how poor he is. She suggests he calls a shrink about losing his job all the time, mm-hmm. and then ditches him to get a cab. What's wrong with that? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it starts to rain, and now his bike won't start. But don't you... If you were in her position, wouldn't you think that he needed help? I mean, the guy's talking to dummies. and Yeah, but she doesn't know that at this point. How do you know? He's pro- he might have prior. You don't know. That's not. That's clearly not the first time he's picked up a, a dummy, is it? Okay. He's rain, he just goes around talking to mannequins. Well, he, he does it in such a way like it looks like he's, never, he's it's not the first time he's done it, is what I'm saying. Hmm. So I thought this was the first time he's done it because this is the first time he's reached perfection with one. Ah, that makes see. Now you see, your, your arguments are winning me over. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we get the thunderstorm. Yeah, and he's pushing his bike in the rain until mm-hmm. he comes across the department store called Prince and Company and he sees his mannequin that he created earlier now in the window. And he runs over and he tells the mannequin she's the most perfect thing he's ever created. See, there you go. And at this point, she hasn't become human yet. He's got a thing for mannequins. Right, okay. You know? Yeah, I'll buy that. One stretch away from having a head in the fridge. I'll say it again. I think there's a big leap between liking a mannequin and cutting people's heads off and refrigerating them. 
Is that right, Colin? Do you want to tell me about it? No, I'm just saying that clearly, <laughs> obviously, there is a big difference. If you say so. Unless he's cutting the heads off mannequins and putting them in refrigerators. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> be a really limp serial killer film. What? <laughs> it'd be a, it'd, I don't know what the word is I could use. It'd be a really dull serial killer film. It would be different. Department store detectives hunting down a serial killer who cuts the heads off mannequins. We need we need to cut this out and write it down. <laughs> Mannequin free. You know, when, when I see that on the cinema in a year's time, I'll be like, hold on a minute. <laughs> I, and we need to stop the podcast. I've got writing to do. This is why he. This is why he cancelled the podcast. <laughs> it makes sense now. <laughs> to write his mannequin killing serial killer film, whole new genre. Well, isn't isn't the uh, the trend at the moment in Hollywood to take franchises and darken them? So there you go. And we and do it to mannequins. We could have different department stars and different mannequins, and it'll be world building a whole universe. <laughs> Yeah, and we could do maybe you could do maybe four or five of them, and then do a big team up one. That's right. Later on. That's right. All the mannequins get together to fight maybe a big plastic dinosaur or something. And not one of the mannequin films is a complete story, so you have to see them all. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because each one is only there to set up the next one. Yeah, this is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Get on it. Okay. I want co-writing credits and I want a producer's credit. <laughs> oh, anyway. Oh, there he goes. <laughs> <laughs> so realising he's standing in the rain, talking to a mannequin for a shop window, he gets back on his bike and it starts first time. See you tomorrow, he says. Now, do you think it started first time because of her magic? Uh, yeah, I think that's what you're supposed to think. I was only joking, but all right. <laughs> I think that's what you're supposed Are to you think. Are you really? Later... Oh, I didn't get that. Well, oh. later in the film, she says that she saw him standing in the rain and that's what brought her to life she does but hang on a minute so I, I think if, if oh, seeing him seeing him in the rain is what brought her to life then she would have had yeah. to have been alive first to see him standing in the rain this is the problem we had at the beginning you're thinking about this film oh silly me <laughs> yeah. don't do that that path leads to darkness and madness <laughs> <laughs> darkness and madness now I've got a vision of you sitting in the jungle like in Apocalypse Now, just rocking back and forth, going, oh, the mannequin film. Mannequin. Is the magic come first or does it come first? Who knows? Just in the darkness. <laughs> and people are sent to go get you and bring you back. <laughs> Don't have to be in the jungle for that, trust me. <laughs> okay, just sitting on the loo, rocking back and forth. Any other Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> people coming up the stairs. We've got this mission for you. He used to be one of us, but now he's gone. He started thinking about Mannequin and there was no way back. You'd go off into the dark heart of the jungle if it, looking for me if it was me, wouldn't you? So Jonathan pushes the bike <laughs> through the rain. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> so the next morning outside the department store of Prince & Co, an old lady called Claire Timkin gets out of a taxi and bashes a guy in the balls with the door. <laughs> yes, she does, doesn't she? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because it's funny, that? seeing one, someone getting hit in the bollocks is always funny, isn't it? But is that supposed to indicate that she's a tough old broad? I think, I think that's the implication, yeah. Yeah, she doesn't they take anything, do does she, from anybody? Right. So she meets Jonathan as he's standing outside the store, and she owns the store now. Mm -hmm. And as they're talking, the 100th anniversary sign above them breaks and comes falling down. 
Jonathan pushes Claire out the way, saving her life. And we get some speeded up footage, don't we, of him swinging on it. Yeah, there's a lot of that in this film. There is, because it's funny. I thought I was watching Ben Neal. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Again, though, Carry On. Carry On used it all the time. That's true. Mm-hmm. She asks him if there's anything she can do to repay him, and he asks for a job. And she gives him one. And a job. Oh, see, I wasn't even... I, that is not what I was going for at that particular moment. I know you don't believe me, but it wasn't. <laughs> Inside the store, she tells him that Prince & Co. is in trouble. It's empty. Nobody wants to shop there anymore. They'd prefer to shop at Illustra, which is a very 80s name for a department store. It is. And have you seen the shop floor of Illustra? Everything is crammed together. There's no walkways. It's it's just lots and lots and lots of, of racks of clothes and things with no walkways between any of it. Where do the customers go? I don't know. Do they have to climb under everything? Maybe. Maybe it's a whole new shopping phase we never heard of. Is this movie set in New York, by the way? No, Philadelphia. It says at the beginning in big letters across the screen. Oh, did it? Yeah. Oh, I must have missed that. Yeah. Did you watch this film? Yeah, I did. Okay. I've seen this film lots of times, actually. Probably just never took notice of that particular moment. Do you own it? I don't own it, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> you sound shocked. I am surprised. I bet you own it, don't you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you why I don't own it at the end. Okay. Okay. Because it's crap. No. <laughs> you own it. Yeah. Well, the, you've seen my collection. Oh, yeah, That's this not, is true. not a crime. This is true. I've seen what you've got. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> I have that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom. So, we cut to Mr. Richards, played by James Spader. He works at Prince & Co. And he's on the phone saying everything is going to plan and that they'll be begging to sell Prince & Co. any day now. We don't know who he's talking to, but we know he's up to no good. What do you think about James Spader's performance in this? It's pretty good. He's, he's, I mean, he's obviously hamming it up to yeah. 11. And everyone is. Playing, everyone is, He's they? playing the creepy guy, but he's really going for it in he character. Is. and character. And it's almost unrecognisable as James Spader to a certain degree. And he's, he throws in a lot of little idiosyncrasies into the performance. Yeah. We, you know, like, he could be running around and he, at the same time as he's running, he's, he's slicking his hair down. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's little things like that I like. Yeah, he's actually the... I think he's the best out of the cast. Oh, I, I think he's the best actor, yeah. He's not the best, Yeah, obviously. It's not the most oh, enjoyable okay. performance in the movie, is it? No, okay, understood. Understood. <laughs> nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Ta- uh, say no more. Taps nose. <laughs> Always a good move on a podcast. I'm tapping my nose now. <laughs> yes, yes, that. <laughs> so Claire introduces Jonathan to Richards, and Richards gives Jonathan the job of stock boy. She also wonders if the accidents happening around the store are sabotage. So does this mean that Richards was trying to murder her? Well, there is the implication that he wants her gone, isn't there? Because he's next in line, or he wants to be next in line. For the... But there's a difference between getting the star run down so he can take over than actually murdering an old lady. But he's a slimeball, isn't he? He's, he's a complete slimeball. So you think he's a slimeball capable of murder? Yeah, I mean, everything in this movie's a caricature. Everything's ramped up, isn't it? So Ah, so he's like a dick dastardly. Yeah, he's dick dastardly, yeah. Okay. Meanwhile, at Roxy's workplace... And Illustra, a colleague named Armand, is breaking numerous HR rules by sexually harassing her. He's the comedy oversexed Italian, isn't he? Yeah, but it's really out of, like, I don't know, it just seems a little weird now. He he is the star of his own movie, though, isn't he? 
<laughs> you think there's a spin-off just called Armand? No, you know what I'm saying, though? He, he plays it like he's the star of the whole thing. He thinks he's really sexual, but then when it comes down to it, he can't do anything, and he's really scared of women. Oh, and spoilers. Each, each, each episode is about him meeting different women. <laughs> he's got his own theme tune where he's, like, dancing through the streets, like, goosing women, because it's the 80s. You can do that back then, apparently. I'd watch it. You'd probably be in it. <laughs> you paint this picture of me being goosed by a man <laughs> <laughs> oh what an horrible thought for the listeners <laughs> what a horrible thought for a man what is he doing the goosing yeah oh he's very hurry as well oh you're thinking about it though <laughs> well no but i'm just considering the fact that he's very hurry you know it's gonna does that make a difference when you're being goosed oh i've never been goosed by a man so i wouldn't know colin no. colin <laughs> Hurry or otherwise? Neither. No. no. Oh. My wife listens okay. to this. Shut up. <laughs> but he is creepy, right? He's just unacceptable now. He's straight out of a carry-on movie, isn't he, from the 70s? I think he's even worse, because he's just... Oh, come on. If you're talking about racial stereotypes, they've done their first show in the carry-on movies. Oh, it's not even racial. It's like... Well, I guess it is in some ways. All right. Oh, did I okay. win that one? Wow. No, I'm just too drunk to give a shit. <laughs> What's new? <laughs> Back at Prince and Company, Jonathan is caught skulking in the ladies' changing rooms by Richards, but he's really looking for his mannequin. Mm-hmm. And he finally finds her, and is caught talking to her by the flamboyant window dresser, Hollywood. Yeah, I know you're going to talk about stereotypes. Yeah, this is, a, this is a extreme stereotype. Yeah, and he's referred to by all manner of uh, things later on in the movie, isn't he? Yes, mm. and he doesn't care about Jonathan's little personal issues. You got to say though, if he's looking for the door to the window, why are the ladies' changing rooms are right next to the window? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Why do the doors <laughs> look the same? Because <laughs> that's just going to open up a whole world of problems, you know. One day, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, sorry, I was looking for the window on. Is it marked window? No, none of the doors are marked anything, and they look exactly the same. <laughs> oh, I see your mistake, sir. You've thought that through, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So for your for your for your next uh, uh call? Your alibi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Later, while Jonathan's carrying materials to one of the floors, he meets the night watchman Felix, played by G.W. Bailey. Who's playing the same character he played in Police Academy. And his dog Rambo. Rambo, yeah. And I have a note here playing his character from Police Academy. Did you really write I that? Do. Yeah. <laughs> see great minds, you see. Yeah, and idiots. <laughs> I did say it first. There's some politically incorrect material here about Hollywood being gay, and Felix refers to him as Murray, and thinks Jonathan is gay too, and asks Jonathan, where did he dig you up from? Jonathan replies, Ohio. And Felix says, oh, you mean they've got him in Ohio now? It's really, uh, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is of its time, isn't it, I think? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Did you catch the line about Miami Vice, by the way? Yeah, yeah. Hollywood says it, right? Yeah, he says, don't, worry, it about don't worry about Felix. Yeah, he says, don't worry about Felix. He's watched, been watching too much Miami Vice. No, no he says he's, he's gone all Miami Vice. He's gone all Miami Vice. That's right. Yeah. I'll do that again Which then, so I, so I don't seem wrong. Okay. So... <laughs> Which version will I keep? Who? I know, I know. It gives you choice, choices, you see. So did you, get, did you catch the, uh, the line about Miami Vice? Yeah, he says that Felix has gone all Miami Vice. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to do that, so I didn't speak. <laughs> Go on, just oh, do just, it again. Just leave it all in. Just... No, no, I'll let you do it again. Go ahead. 
that they can do it with a straight face now. So did you catch the um the line about Miami Vice? <gasps> no. Deja vu, anyone? <laughs> Just move on. You you can sort that out. <laughs> I can't even bother to do it anymore. <laughs> Just move on. <laughs> All right. So afterwards, Jonathan is helping Hollywood in the window dressing. And do you find Hollywood annoying? You see, now I'm I'm wondering now. Are you actually are you asking me that genuinely, or are you trying to lead me down a path? No, I'm genuinely asking you. Do you find him annoying or not? Not really. Not particularly. No, I have to say. <laughs> don't look at me like that. that. No, I don't find him annoying. No. You don't think he's over the top? Well, yeah, he's over the top. But in a movie that is over the top, and everyone else is over the top. He's just another actor being over the top. Okay, okay. Obviously, you find him annoying. No, I never said that. I was asking you. How can you say, obviously, you find him annoying when I didn't say and I was merely asking you a question? It, it, you, you just were giving off that vibe that you find... you and, and knowing you the way, you, you know, the way that you think, you're easily irritated. No, I don't find him annoying. I think he's over the top, but it's perfectly fine because he's in a cast of characters that are all over the top and he fits in perfectly. Isn't that what I just said? Is it? Oh, okay. <laughs> so what, what exactly about him didn't you find annoying? Well, that's a very well-coached question. Yes. What about him did I not find annoying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything. Wow. So you weren't annoyed by everything, really? Yeah. Very good. See, okay. I'm learning. Yeah. I'm learning. So he's upset about his boyfriend and doesn't know if to go and see him or not. Jonathan says you should go and he'll stay, although he should have left already to take Roxy out. After Hollywood has left, Jonathan says to the mannequin, do you need a scarf? And she comes alive. She does. And he takes it rather well, you have to say, don't he's, you? He does, but he's freaked out. Yeah, for about um, 30 seconds. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny yeah. if this whole film was like just in his mind? Yeah. I kept thinking that all the way through it. Yeah, that would be interesting. You can go with that for the whole movie until you get to the, like, the last scene. Yeah, where everybody sees her. Mm. But, oh, spoilers again. Now, don't you think her um, her acting is it's very arch, isn't it? It's re- it's very different to what everyone else is doing. I think it's kind of like in what way? Well, it, I mean, she's over the top and she's turning it up to eleven like everybody else. But in some ways, it's not as it's not as showy. I don't think as some of the other actors. Right. You know, and it's a lot more okay. endearing. It's not it's not irritating. No, it's not. No, it's true. So do so many other actors irritate you then? Yes, yes. Would you, like me, would you like me to list them? <laughs> <laughs> In order of irritantness? <laughs> well, I, d- I don't like the police academy guy. He's annoying. Right, right. And I also think the guy um, that owns the other store, he's kind of annoying Wirt. as well. Yeah, he's right. kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. but um, Okay. In a lot of ways as well, I don't think Andrew McCarthy's performance is, he, he, he's kind of playing it straight through the whole thing pretty much right mm. mm-hmm. he's the only one who is yeah i mean the guy playing hollywood's not playing it straight is he that was a lot of preamble to get to that line you really had to work to get that one in there it's all off the cuff mate trust me yeah you want to turn the page <laughs> of your notes <laughs> no what are you on about i haven't got any notes <laughs> yeah. so back at the apartment roxy's annoyed by being stood up mm-hmm and then at Princeton Co., Jonathan starts to show Emmy the section of the store where they build the fixtures for the windows. Yeah, he gets his tool out, doesn't he? He does, yeah. Yeah. And then, well, he uh, does. You know, he's, he's got a nail gun and a... No, she nails uh, him. She does, against the wall. Yeah. 
This is taking a dark turn. This is the horror version. So then they explore the store and she chooses a dress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the morning, Roxy wakes up having fallen asleep on the couch waiting for Jonathan. Back at Prince and Co., Jonathan wakes up in the window of the store. Emmy has returned to being a mannequin, but there's a new shop window dressing that is amazing people outside. It's a tennis-themed window, isn't it? Yeah, with the ball going back and forth on a wire. Yeah, and it's it's gathered a crowd of people who are really, really taken with it. Because there's nothing that people like more is a window display. Is that right? Apparently. Do you, no. do you often find yourself struck by a window display? I walk past Macy's and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, look at that. And then an hour goes by and I'm, I've ordered peanuts and I'm just <laughs> staring at the window. Do, do you find yourself talking to the mannequin? Oh, yeah, this is interesting. They never come alive yet, though. That was my next question. Do, do they ever answer back? <laughs> I've got the phone by my side. I can, I can, die. <laughs> I can call for help. Okay. I can call for help, yeah. <laughs> so Jonathan goes to pick up Roxy, but she's annoyed. He tries to tell her about the mannequin, but she thinks he's nuts and goes off with a man instead. She does, which is a weird choice, isn't it? It's hard, because at first I thought, well, maybe she's doing it to make him jealous, but then she doesn't seem to really care for him. Not really, and I, I, I kind of thought along the same lines, maybe it was a revenge shag, you know? Oh no, that's later. Oh, is that later? Yeah, you've jumped ahead. Now we get to see Jonathan's amazing loft apartment. Yes, he, he has got a rather impressive apartment, hasn't he? This is why I said the bike is nothing compared to his amazing loft apartment for a guy who not only can't keep a job, he's a stock boy in a department store. I mean, you live in New York, so is this not realistic? Well, I don't live in Philadelphia where the film is set for the second time this evening. <laughs> I keep saying that, don't I? <laughs> See, everything seems to be set in New York, doesn't it? It all looks like New York to me, so... Not to you, obviously, you know. But, but I'm guessing that even in 1987, mm-hmm. you couldn't afford a loft apartment being unemployed. You probably couldn't afford a cardboard box if you were unemployed in 1987. So, so no, you? it's ridiculous. It's one of those nuts things. It's a nice place, though. I would like to point out that you're, you're, you're saying that that is ridiculous in a movie about a mannequin that comes alive who is possessed by an Egyptian... Uh, princess. Yeah, but you have to draw your lines of realism. <laughs> so you draw the line at the apartment. Yeah, yeah so you've got to you've got to have limits to this kind of thing. But you're perfectly fine with all the supernatural stuff. But when it becomes fiscal, that's, that's your <laughs> absolutely, that's your absolutely, point, yes, yes. Right, okay. Just now so I you know. know. See, it all makes sense about you. Good. The last thirty years now all makes sense. Good. Yes. <laughs> Tight. Meanwhile, a crowd is farming outside of Jonathan's window display. Yeah, he's got another hit on his hands, hasn't he? He has, yes. And Roxy's boss, BJ Wirt, is trying it on with Roxy. Why is everybody trying it on with Roxy? She's got that slicked back 1980s power dress, you know, power dressing kind of... She really looks 80s, but she has a lot of hair too. A really tremendous amount of hair. <laughs> Does she? <laughs> <laughs> Well, your research this week is uh, is amazing. Wow. <laughs> I'm not saying she's at Matilda May level. <laughs> but then again, who is? But it's just weird that everyone is trying to just hit on her all the time. Mm-hmm. So one of Wirt's flunkies turns up and tells him about Prince and Company's new window design and how great it is. Mm-hmm. Wirt calls Richards to find out what's going 
on because they're actually working together to bury the Prince and Company department store yeah. so that Wurt, who owns the store Illustra, can take over Prince and Co. Yeah, they're dastardly, aren't they? Yes, Mr. 1920s man. <laughs> it was the word that came to me. Now, have we had the scene where um, Jonathan calls his, his mum to ask if there's any history of insanity in his, in his family? Or did we mi- take it a pee at this point? Did you miss that bit? <laughs> what was it? Well, he wakes up in his apartment, doesn't he? Right. And yeah. uh, he gets up and he, he calls his mum to ask, because uh-huh. he thinks he's going mad from what happened the night before. Right. And he calls his mum to say, you know, is there any history of insanity in the family? Has granddad got anything wrong or anything like that? Now, I, I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if they cut to his mum in her house and his entire family were all mannequins? <laughs> She's sitting at the dining table and everyone else sitting at the table as a mannequin. Yeah, that, that would be funny, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be, yeah. And I she like says, that. no, 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 there's, there's no history of that at all. <laughs> well, although your cousin is a bit of a dummy. Ooh. Yeah, no, that would be good. Actually, I don't remember that scene. And normally I stop it when I go out. <laughs> that says a lot about this movie, doesn't it, for you? You obviously didn't. I don't remember that scene. You didn't stop it. No, guess not. And you own the no. thing. I know. Crazy, right? How many times have you ever watched it? Uh, is this the first time you've watched it since you bought it? No, this is the second time I've watched it since I bought it. Right, okay. So at a board meeting at Prince & Co, Richards is trying to get Jonathan fired, but Claire is not buying it. She says they should postpone the sale of the department store while Richards insists they sell. So they put it to a vote. The board vote in Claire's decision. The sale will be postponed. And not only is Jonathan not fired, he is promoted to visual merchandiser. He's doing well in this company, isn't he? He's worked himself up from stock boy to visual merchandiser in less than two days. See, if only I'd have known, that's that's the way to go. You know, get yourself a good a good plastic girlfriend. Right. Work your way up from there. You still do that. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> As I said before, my wife listens to this. You, you're cutting that out. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, Richards finds the security guard Felix and gets him to watch Jonathan because he says something is going on at night. Yeah. When Jonathan goes back into the window, Emmy comes alive again. We should point out she only comes alive for Jonathan and only when he's alone. Yeah, well, you say that, but I'm not sure how that works. Okay. Shall I wait until we get to the point where he's, she's in full view of about 50 people? Yes, yeah, certainly. Yes. Okay. So she tells him that she's tried different places and different times. Which confused me because I was like, well, she's a mannequin. How's that possible? But we discussed this previously and you've convinced me that it all works perfectly fine. I'm, I'm glad I helped you. He tries to kiss her and she falls on a music stereo. Music plays. And we get two hours of montage of them dressing up in different music Then <laughs> <laughs> She says to him, whether they hired all the musicians. And I was thinking, well, in a Casio keyboard, because it's 1987. <laughs> Everybody had one of those, didn't they? Right. <laughs> so they try different clothes and doing different musical styles, and mm-hmm. that goes on for a little while. Do you remember the um, the Starship song that we get at the credits at the end of the movie that, that was huge at the time? One of the best songs ever made. I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm just saying that, that a lot of this montage was used in that video, wasn't it? Oh, I don't remember the video, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would cut between the Starship people and it was it was most of the stuff in the video was stuff from this these montages of them dressing up and, and playing around and stuff, you know. To the point where, I, you know, I watched this film for a long time and I remembered those moments more than anything else in the film purely because I saw them a lot on top of the pops. 
Okay, so when Hollywood turns up, Emmy, of course, returns to being a mannequin. Now, you'd think Hollywood would be kind of annoyed that Jonathan is now the visual merchandiser from Stockboy in just two days. He's taking it rather well. He's, uh... He does. You got, you, whatever you say about Hollywood, he's, he's a kind person and takes things very well. What do you mean, whatever you say about him? Well, <laughs> well Felix says nasty things about him. Other people say nasty things about him. Oh, so not you. You're talking about the characters. No, not me. I'm talking about the characters in the no, film. I just wanted to, to clarify where, where we stood on that. Yeah, I'm sure that's what you're trying to do. <laughs> Felix sends Rambo into the lift, but the dog comes out whimpering. And then Jonathan walks out with the mannequin under his arm. Again, I can't help but thinking, you know, if, if she's not actually turning into a human being, He's just doing all this with a mannequin. Right, you'd really want that to be true. I do, it would make such a better movie, wouldn't it, if the twist at the end of the film was the fact that it was all in his head. And that he had a mental illness? Yeah. And just a closing shot of his own drooling in a cell somewhere? Exactly, and then cue the, <laughs> cue the starship. <laughs> Nothing's going to stop us now. <laughs> <laughs> that would confuse people in 1987. It, would, it really would have messed with people's minds. I have a feeling it would confuse people now. David Lynch would have done it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, he should have directed this movie. You're right. David Lynch's mannequin. Ooh, can you imagine what would happen in that? I could. I'd like it. <laughs> you said that a little bit too enthusiastically. <laughs> Just be a guy carrying Cheryl and Fenn around. And then people would switch characters for no reason at all. <laughs> That's right. Perfect. Andrew McCarthy becomes the, the mannequin. And that little person doing somersaults. Yeah. Yeah, and Kim Cattrall becomes Felix. No, she becomes Rambo. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, in the next morning, a crowd is again looking at Jonathan's new window display. Mm-hmm. Jonathan wakes up at home to the sound of his phone ringing. It's Roxy. Suddenly, she's been friendly with him and wants to take him to lunch. Yeah, it's a ruse, though, isn't it? Yeah, but we discover she's only doing it because her boss word asked her to. He wants Jonathan to come and work for Illustra so they will draw the crowds away from Prince and Co. Well, it makes sense, I suppose. I mean, he, he is the hit across the street, isn't he? Yeah, but why did he open a department store in a little city that's got another huge department store? And yeah, why Philadelphia? I, why can Philadelphia only take two department stores? Well, apparently Philadelphia is just one street. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing else anywhere. It's just one street with two department stores facing each other. Yeah. So he arrives at lunch an hour late. It turns out to be a restaurant that he once worked at. But of course, he was fired for setting the maitre d's eyebrows on fire. Yeah, the the, the maitre d' calls him um, the flambe terrorist. Yeah, that's a nice name. I like that. When I see it used on the news, I'll know where to look, <laughs> won't I? <laughs> Roxy says she got Jonathan all wrong and would like him to be the chief designer at Illustra. He says, can he bring his partner with him, a beautiful woman? And Roxy kind of seems to become a little jealous here, but we're still not totally sure because she treats him like crap anyway. I think she is jealous, though, I guess. isn't she? But she doesn't, I don't think she knows why she's right. jealous. Right, yeah. And yeah. he turns her down. Even with all that hair, yeah. apparently. He's a fool. Yeah. Kim Cattrall doesn't seem hurry, does she? <laughs> <laughs> Was that your erection? <laughs> Did you say reaction or erection? Erection. Ding! <laughs> It's like a little light bulb going off <laughs> over your crotch. <laughs> Back at Prince and Co., Felix reports to Richards that something strange is happening at night. Richards doesn't know how Jonathan is creating such great designs. And Felix calls Jonathan a fat blossom. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm not sure how that works. 
but I doubt, but yeah. I, yeah, it's an interesting insult. I've never heard of it before. You're going to use that against me at some point, aren't you? In about five seconds. Yeah, you're going to, yeah. <laughs> After the store is closed, Felix decides to hunt around the store. Meanwhile, Roxy and Armand is, are also hiding in the store to try and find out who the woman is that Jonathan is working with. Mm-hmm. They want to take a picture. Maybe she'll work for Illustra. Why is Felix confused about where Jonathan is? I mean, he must be in a window. He's a window dresser. Yeah, but you say that, though. But when does he ever do... He seems to do his work 10 minutes before it's actually morning, doesn't he? We never actually see him work. Not really, no. They, they, most of the time, he's just running around with, with his dummy, isn't he? Yeah, this is quite a good job. I was thinking that as well. <laughs> it's my kind of job. Obviously not the dummy part, you know. Jonathan is messing around with Emmy on the floor, but as Felix finds them, she turns back into a mannequin, and it looks like Jonathan was trying to have sex with a mannequin. Again, I'll say it, this works so much better if you assume that she was never real to begin with. True. Just think about it. It's, it will make I, such a better movie. I don't need to think about it. I know you're right. <laughs> Roxy and Armand see them and take photos, then leave the star, and Felix attacks Jonathan. He does. He just starts hitting him with his baton, doesn't he? Yeah. Why? What is this guy's problem? He just says he's gonna. He's just gonna give it to him, doesn't he? Basically. Yeah. This guy's got issues. You know what it is, don't you? PTSD. That's not what I was gonna say, but now you. Whatever I say, what what I was gonna say is gonna sound really flippant, so I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> really, Felix is a character who should be helped, not ridiculed. Yes, that's right. Now, when comedy Italian guy and uh, Roxy go off, he says to her, can I show you something in your size? Again, that's a carry-on gag. Oh, it is. I didn't notice that line. That's actually a pretty good line. It is. Yeah, he starts to unbuckle his trousers and go, oh, can I show you something? Now it's less of a good line. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, he reaches for it. We don't don't need the action. The line's fine as it is. (laughs) We got it. We don't need it anymore. Yeah, but... It's a good line, though. Uh, yeah, I'm less approving It's a carry-on line, though, isn't it? Totally. Well, speaking of carry-on, you could see this made as a carry-on movie, couldn't you? Shall we do our regular casting? <laughs> Cast it that confuses people who have no interest in carry-on films. Yeah, okay, go on. So... I think our listening figures would beg to differ. Mannequin. Emmy. I would say either you go the uh, straightforward route of having... Um, Barbara Windsor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obvious choice, obvious choice. But, but I would choose instead. Let me guess, Hattie. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Although she does have a role. Um, no, I would choose, um, and I can't remember her name, so you'll have to help me out. Charles Hartry. No, the blonde one okay. who's in um, Screaming and Kyber, and I think she's in Cowboy as well. Angela Douglas. That's the one. So she would be a great Emmy, I think. Or you could go, as I say, the traditional route with Barbara. Right, right. Now, for Jonathan, I would say Jim Dale, obviously. Yeah, okay. For um, Richards, I would go Kenneth Williams. Yes. And for uh, the owner of Illustra, Mm -hmm. I would go uh, Sid. Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And for for the uh, the owner of the other store, the Mrs. Uh, what's her name, Tink, Tinkin or whatever her name is. Yeah, Claire Timkin. Claire Tink. I would go Hattie Jakes. Now for mannequin, I'd go Hattie Jakes <laughs> as Emmy. 
Um, yeah, you're taking it in a different. Yeah, I'm going. I'm, oh yeah, I'm going totally different direction. For Jonathan, I'd go for Sid James. Wow. Okay. For Richard, you know, you know, he wouldn't have any of that though. Not with Hattie Jakes as as his co-star. Why? Because he won Barbara, wouldn't he? Oh, she's not in this film. <laughs> oh, look no at choice. you, Peter Rogers. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's no choice. I'm writing the script. All right, go on then. <laughs> Richards. This is what killed the carry-ons, you know. <laughs> Richards would be Charles Hartry. I think Williams is better. He does the smarm better. Wirt would be Peter Butterworth. Mm, yeah, okay. Tell you, I'm going, I'm going out there. I'm going out there. I, I, I would argue that he'd make a better Felix. No, Bernard Breslau is Felix. What about Ken Connor, though? Depends how much he wants for the role. Um... <laughs> <laughs> this is probably conversations they had back then. <laughs> yeah, probably. But Ken Connor did, could do that whole puffing his chest up thing and being pompous, couldn't he? Right, right, he could, yeah. You know? Now, Claire Timkin, because I've already used Hattie Jakes mm-hmm. as the mannequin. I know you're going to go for. Who? You're going to go for, and I don't know her name, but the the, the old lady who's yeah. in Carry On Cabby. Yes, absolutely. Before, isn't it? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. absolutely. Oh. So I think it's, different, it's a different spin, mm-hmm. but I think it would work. I like mine better than yours. <laughs> And the star would be called Size Plus One. Was that was that just a, off the top of your head then? Yeah. That was very good. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, I'm impressed. You won me over now. Thanks. I'll go with that. Oh, great. <laughs> 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 but it is... I digress. This really? Is... Like, what were we doing for the last hour? <laughs> business as usual. This is a carry-on movie, isn't it? I never thought of it that way, but I can see the connections you're making. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's just a total carry-on movie. That was the way I, I saw it. And the, funnily enough, I've seen this movie a bunch of times, and this was the first time, maybe it was because of you know, that whole sitting down and looking at it, but this is the first time I actually saw that. Right. But we, we should talk about that at the end. But So, back at the film. Oh, yeah, we're talking about that, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. See, I threw that in there. You can use that wherever you want, you see. Oh, thanks. Every episode. <laughs> <laughs> so... Jonathan and Emmy run around the star until she finds a hang glider that magically works in a star with no wind. It's suspiciously moving in a funny way, this hang glider as well, right. isn't it? Almost like it's hanging on wires. Almost, but I think that's her magic. <laughs> oh, well done. <laughs> and she flies You're down. You're going with it. You're going with Thanks. it. She flies down to the ground floor and she crashes the hang glider into Felix, knocking him out. Mm-hmm. But she's happy she flew. Because that's one of her things that she wanted to do. You were paying attention. Mm-hmm. Jonathan and Emmy kiss. They do. And then they remember the windows display was wrecked in the fight, yet now they manage to turn the chaos into something special. They do uh, something that seems to be based around underwear, don't they? Yes. Nice description. That's all you can give her. People, people getting their clothes blown off by huge lots of wind. Yes. In the morning, Richards finds Felix still knocked out in the star. Claire arrives and tells Richards to fire him. When Felix says he was just doing what Richard told him to do, she fires Richards too. And then we get what, some of my favourite things in any movie. We get some spinning headlines. <laughs> That's right, because <laughs> as the windows go from strength to strength, the star's income increases, and Prince and mm-hmm. Co. is back on top. I love my spinning headlines. I look for them in everything that we do. Okay, then we should make yeah. sure that every film has some. I'll try. Right. And then we get more montage, don't we? Yes, and meanwhile, this illustrious star's profits are down and the place is collapsing with its lack of business and Claire makes Jonathan vice president. <laughs> <laughs> I 
It's perfectly logical in this universe. It is, yes. Yeah. Stuck by, chief designer, yeah. vice president. Dummy fucker. I was not here to be rude to me. <laughs> if I was going to be rude to you, I'd have paused between the words. Oh, right, gotcha. Yeah. Roxy shows the pictures of Jonathan frolicking with the mannequin to BJ Words, and he's going to use it to either ruin Jonathan or hire him. Which one do you reckon they'll go for? Mm, I don't know. It's tense at the moment. <laughs> Could go either way. Back at Prince & Co. in the star bathroom, Jonathan tells Emmy about his promotion and everything, and then he realises he's just been talking about himself and that he owes it all to her. That's nice. It is. Yeah. Hollywood walks in on them kissing, and she is, of course, back to her mannequin farm, so it just looks like Jonathan's kissing a mannequin. And we get another great carry-on line. He says, I'd never bother you when you're getting a piece of wood. Yeah. And Hollywood asks for design help, but Jonathan says he works alone. But Jonathan feels bad about this and asks Emmy to help him. But she says to Jonathan, you can do it alone. You, you have the ability. And she can't appear in front of Hollywood. He just has to have faith in himself. And there's another case of terrible um, 80s stereotype bigotry here, isn't there as well? Because Hollywood starts crying. Oh, right, yeah. And he, he refers to himself as, I mean, either the vice, it's either the vice president, the furry or the dummy. Right. While Hollywood and Jonathan mm. are talking and trying to think of something for the window display, Hollywood says something that inspires Jonathan. Meanwhile, at Lostra, Richards has now been employed by B.J. Wirt and brings Felix along. Wirt wants Felix to kidnap the mannequin, and then he'll give Felix a cosy job. He will. You can see this going well, can't you? Sounds like a perfect plan. Back at Prince & Co., Jonathan shows Emmy the new window, and it's amazing, I guess. Mm, looks all right. <laughs> <laughs> Windows go. I think more, more importantly, um, well, there's not a crowd outside it, is there, this time? But it is late yeah. at night. So. That's right. And there's nobody else on these streets, no, is there? No, no. So. And he then takes her for a ride on his bike. She, unlike Roxy, is not ashamed to be seen on his bike. And he's not ashamed to be seen riding around with a mannequin. Because that's what people see, yes, isn't it? Apparently. apparently. So what happens when he drives past like a bus, as he does later in the movie? The people on the bus just see him riding with a mannequin. But we don't see the mannequin. No, no. We see Kim Cattrall. Ah, so are you saying that this is a, a piece of cinema where, you know, we're seeing what he's seeing, but you have to just assume that everyone outside of it is seeing a mannequin? I am saying that mannequin is a piece of cinema, yeah. That's not what I asked. <laughs> no, yes, that's exactly, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying, yes. Right, because that always, that, that always bothered me. Yeah. This bit where he's riding around on his bike. We're seeing it from uh, McCarthy's point of view. Right, okay. But that's the only time in the movie that they do that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. It is a little sketchy. In a movie of sketchiness. Yeah. <laughs> Roxy turns up with Amand as they are leaving, and of course Emmy is now a mannequin again. Roxy says he's nuts and should join her illustra, but he refuses once more. Amand tries it on with Roxy again, and for the hundredth time she finally says, oh, what the hell, and goes off with him. Yeah, so so is this is this a revenge shag or is it as you say is it is it her just giving up or what? I don't know because he seems like the last person she'd go off with, and it really because up to this point you you, you kind of don't know whether she's really evil. You know what I mean? Right. She could care a lot about him, or she might not because you don't really know. But as soon as she does this, it's like okay, she's that character. Yeah, it's not very well drawn. <laughs> all right moving on <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Felix is taking his kidnapping mission seriously and is putting on camouflage paint. Richards refuses to wear it. And they see Jonathan ride past with the mannequin on the bike. And it is certainly not Andrew McCarthy on this bike. No, because this guy's about 50, isn't he? Yeah, he's a... <laughs> very different. And a chase starts that finishes with the car trapped between two walls. Well, before the chase starts, though, did you get the um, the gag where the old guy and his wife walk out? Yeah, she says, look at him with a dummy. And he, and he says, who are you to criticise? <laughs> yeah, but does that mean he's just called himself? I thought he was calling her one. Oh, I guess. I thought it was, you know? I thought it was an odd... Yeah, I suppose. It, it reminded me of something you'd seen in a Bond movie. It's a verbal double take. Yeah, all it, all it, it was two pigeons, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So meanwhile, back at Roxy's, Armand fails to perform and blames Roxy. Yeah, he's, uh, who, who'd have thought it? He's not the uh, the stallion that he thought he was, is he? Oh, see? Perfect for our comedy show, Armand. What do you think the problem was? Too much her? His or hers? Well, hers, obviously, because you've looked into it. I've looked into it. You've looked into it deeply, haven't you? You know what you're saying, right? You know what you're saying. What, what are you talking about? Why are you laughing? I'm trying to be innocent with your innuendos. I've no idea. I just mean that you've done a lot of research into the character. You didn't you? say so, that. You said you I've know. looked into it deeply. You've looked into her deeply. I've not looked into her deeply. You've you peeled back the layers and you've looked into it deeply. Oh, boy. You know, I'm being into fingers. An hour and 36 minutes. An hour of this is cut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have some balls. So after that, we get more bike riding through the streets, and then it's back at the store for some rutting. For some what? You mean sexy time? Yeah, we mean sexy time. Ah, right, okay. And Emmy and Jonathan are laying together in a hammock, and he tells Emmy that she inspires him. He could do anything with her. And he falls asleep in the middle of the store, surrounded by furs, and Emmy gets back into the window. I've got a question. Yes. About the sexy time. Mm-hmm. It's a legitimate question, okay? Oh. So she's human until someone else sees her, okay? Oh, no. <laughs> what? <laughs> Mid-coitus? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's not going to go well for him, is it? Really? Someone walks in on him and she turns in, back into plastic. Yeah, that could be tricky. I mean... He's... That's an explanation at A&E you really don't want to go through at the hospital, right? <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure the NHS have seen a lot yeah. worse. <laughs> so, like, so how did this happen? Well, it's a funny story. But she comes alive when nobody's <laughs> looking. And then every time someone turns around, poof, she's a mannequin. You're the fifth person to say that yeah, this week. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is awkward. They don't really... I mean, that's not that's not coming out easy, is no, it? No, and they don't explore this area in the film, right? Well, he does. <laughs> well, they're kind of sketchy on the whole thing, aren't they? Yeah. Really? I mean, it bursts thinking about it, I think. Does it? Does it really? <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure about that? Well, maybe not. Nah, I don't think anyone else is thinking about it. Just you. Hang on a minute. Before I said what I was going to say, you knew exactly what I was going <laughs> to say. So... <laughs> yeah, you're just leading the witness. Yeah, 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 I know your game. Richards and Felix break into Princeton Car and steal as many mannequins as they can get, including Emmy. Yeah, they're rotters, aren't they? Yes, dastardly rotters. What are you... <laughs> when did you fall into a 1930s persona? I... No, you know what it was? What? I watched Biggles again the other day. Oh, you did. <laughs> Why are you watching that one that possibly may come up in the future? Oh, 
I'll watch it again. Don't worry. Jonathan wakes up in the furs and Hollywood tells him all the mannequins have been stolen. And he goes to Illustra. How does he know that's where the mannequins are? I would imagine that he just presumes, you know, with that being the only other store in Philadelphia, that, that that's where they are. But what's led him to believe is that they're interested in trying to shut down Prince and Co. I think he doesn't know any of this stuff. Mm. There's no reason why he instantly went, oh, that shopping center that my girlfriend, or oh, used to be girlfriend works at, they've stolen all the mannequins. You know what? Doing that thing again. You're thinking. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Check your brain in at the door when we watch this movie. It's weird. I don't do it any other time except when I'm watching this film. (laughs) Why does it occur just when this film's on? That's strange. (laughs) Gotta stop that. (laughs) Jonathan, when he gets to Austria, confronts Wirt, Roxy and Richards and wants to know where his mannequin is. Yes, he does. Roxy says, you'll never see it again and leaves in a hurry and Jonathan gives chase. Mm -hmm. And then we cue the screwball chase. That we get in this movie. Yes, with Felix has a new dog. Mm-hmm. It's just as inadequate as his first one. He's called Terminator. Yes, of course, in his Alsatian. <laughs> Very. I didn't think about that, but yeah, that's true, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The guards are inept, Keystone style. Yeah, they, don't they even run and uh, bump into each other from each side of the screen with a comedy sound effect? I believe so, yes. 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 And Richards and White also chase Jonathan around the star. Mm hmm. Roxy takes out a rolling trolley full of mannequins and throws them onto a conveyor belt that leads to a trash compactor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Jonathan runs to where she is, but he's still trying to avoid the guards. Roxy starts up the trash compactor and the mannequins head towards whirling blades on a conveyor belt. And Hollywood's holding off the uh, security, isn't he? Yes, he's using a fire hose and using the force of water to keep the guards at bay. And Emmy is dragged closer to the compactor. And a pile of trash falls onto Roxy, knocking her out for some reason. That only happens for a reason that happens later, isn't it? But why is it connected to... I mean, that's that's a design flaw in that machine, really. <laughs> because it doesn't go anywhere. It just falls onto the floor, doesn't it? Yeah. Maybe yeah. you're supposed to wheel something under it. Oh, and is it depositing what's going through the compactor? Maybe, yeah. All right. But it, no, and that can't be right, because it's just a bunch of papers, isn't it? Yeah. But why does it knock her out, then? Yeah, because you'd think all that her would cushion it, wouldn't you? You would think so, wouldn't you? Well, it depends where it lands. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan catches Emmy's hand just as she's about to go over into the compactor, and she comes to life. She does. Down below, the worker realises it's a real woman and stops the compactor. No, he's the janitor, isn't he? Emmy realises she's alive because the worker can see her, and yet she hasn't turned into a mannequin. It's Jonathan's love has made her real, or some shit like that. Oh, this is nice. (laughs) It's nice. Oh, come on. It's nice. The way you say nice sounds like there should be an O in it. No, you, you, you've got to be a hard-hearted bastard to not get something out of that, haven't you? Well, today's your lucky day because you're meeting. <laughs> How'd you do? How'd you do? <laughs> Indeedy. Claire arrives and tells Word that she has video of Richards and Felix breaking in and stealing a mannequin. They're all going to jail for some unknown reason that I can't quite figure out. Well, they're all going to jail because they broke into the into the uh, store, didn't they? I guess that's the reason. And she, she's got video footage. Yeah. And Jonathan says to, um, what's her name again? Mrs. Timpkin? Yeah, Claire Timpkin. Yeah. Jonathan says to her, uh, did you see everything on that video footage? And she says, 
I only saw what I needed to see. Wink, wink. So, so, so in other words, she saw him shagging a dummy. Yeah, basically. but it's not a dummy though, because she was alive at that point. Yeah, but she wouldn't. She wouldn't have been alive on the video, would she? She'd have been a dummy. Why? Because it's it's a, it's another pair of eyes. Isn't yeah, it? but she actually turns into a mannequin when other people can see her. Ah, I see what you mean. So if the video was like a pair of eyes, she would have been a dummy all the time. Which goes to my my theory that it would have been better if she was a mannequin all the time. And this footage... Can you imagine the footage of him? He's just laying on top of this dummy, humping it. Dressing her up in different clothes. Dancing with her. <laughs> it's such a better movie. <laughs> Maybe we should put that into a mannequin serial killer film. I think we should. Yeah, that he dresses them up. Yeah. But he thinks they're alive. He thinks they're alive, and he sees yeah. them as alive. Hold on, right. that is a movie. That's called Voices. Oh, oh that's a shame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good movie, though. So finally, Jonathan and Emmy get married in the window of Prince & Co. Are they going to consummate it in the window as well? Absolutely. You've got to start, you know, carry on as you started, haven't you? You know, It'd be their best display. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of Mannequin. That is the end of Mannequin. So, yes. Paul, what did you think of that? 90 minutes of rollicking comedy. Well, we, we've already said it's not a movie that I own, okay? Don't know why not. You seem to love the shit out of it. I haven't got... Uh, give me a chance. I haven't got there yet, have I? It's, it's very, very silly. It's really silly, and it doesn't make a lick of sense at all. Right. But, you know, it's it's it, it's one of those movies that I, would, I wouldn't own, unlike some people. But it's one of those movies that if it turns up on a bank holiday on the TV and I come across it... And you were comatose. I'll leave it on. I'll leave it on and I'll watch the whole thing. Because it's it's really good fun, I think. It's funny. Kim Cattrall is... I mean, I'm going to say, she, we haven't said it all the way through this podcast, but she's gorgeous in, in this movie. She's really likeable. I'll stand by my thing that it, it, it is an American carry-on movie. It, it's got the bawdiness and the um, over-the-top humour that carry-on movies have. So for me, I... I I think it's perfectly acceptable. I haven't got a problem with this movie at all. Yes, it, it doesn't make, as I say, it doesn't make a lick of sense. It's stupid beyond belief. And it's so 80s, it's painful at times. But like you with Street Talk, there's just something about it that I really like. Okay. So I, it's a yes for me. It's For me, it's, it's one of those films that I hate myself for liking. <laughs> like throughout the film, every part of me is like, Oh, this is just awful. This is a terrible film. I mean, it's it's badly written. It makes so many cinematic mistakes. It does not as laziness about it. And yet, for some reason, by the end of it, you're like, "Oh, save that mannequin!" Exactly. I mean, by the end of this film, I I guarantee, if you don't walk away from this film feeling good, you're I mean, you're as plastic as she is. You know, in when she's a mannequin, <laughs> it's. Yeah, yeah. It's so, so it's it's one of those rare films that is terrible, but is terribly good. But that that's, goes back to what you said last time. You know, how are we judging this? So, we uh, is the hit list based on whether it's a good movie or whether what we get from it? I think, and I think it's from it's what we get from it. I think I, I believe so because I mean, also look at the films that we're we've been reviewing. We don't do we're not doing Seventh Samurai anytime soon. No, yeah. and and as we said before, we're, we're not going to do Star Crash either. But we know so. Seven Samurai is a good film. Yeah, but yeah. so there's no point in us 
debating it. Right. So, yeah, I think it's a hit. It's fun. It's enjoyable. Uh, it has problems. Um, but Kim Cattrall's performance and James Spader's performance, I'm less endeared with Andrew McCarthy, but I think... I think he's got less to work with than all the other people. He's got the straight role, hasn't he? Yeah. He, he's never really an actor that's ever really been on my radar that much. I don't know why, but, you know, out of all those kind of Brat Pack era actors, right. he's the one that has never really sort of stays with me. He always plays the, the nice guy. The Could be, yeah, could be. Maybe. And you don't like nice guys. <laughs> you like them rough. <laughs> well, that's why we get on so well. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah it's a hit wow and i thought we were gonna argue about it and no no it's it's a hit i hate every fiber in my being for saying so <laughs> well that's it for mannequin which appears to be a hit from both of us surprisingly enough who did not who'd have thought it not me so thank you for listening and if you want to suggest a film or a tv show because mannequin was actually a listener choice then you can email us at retrospection at email.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Retrospecky and on Facebook. And you can also check out our Spotify playlist, which includes all the themes from the films that we've been watching. So join us in our next episode when we ah, finally venture into the world of Bond, James Bond. And we reach Moonraker from 1979. You know, it was the, um, it was the first... Bond poster that I remember seeing as as a kid on the cinema. Okay. Not the not the first Bond movie that I went to see on the cinema because I was too young. I was obviously too young to go and see Moonraker at the time. But it, I I I have a vivid memory of walking past the Unit Four Cinema in Wigan and seeing uh, the Moonraker poster because it's very striking. Yeah, it is. It's Bond in space. Oh, he is. He's wearing a yeah. spacesuit, pointing a phaser. Phaser. That's very Star mm-hmm. trek wasn't it? I had one of those guns. It was a cap gun based on the, the Bond uh, space. So your, your laser gun that makes laser sounds went bang. It did. Mm. It was the 70s. Okay. And I was four. Right. <laughs> <laughs> The slogan is, where all the other bonds end, this one begins. You're not wrong. And I'm afraid this is where our podcast ends. Thank you for listening. My name's Colin. And you've been listening to Retrospection. Bye. Bye. Looking in your eyes, I see a paradise. This world